Good morning, everybody. Lovely to hear so much happy chatter. So, I'm going to be reading to you today from Romans 12, verses 3 to 8, which is a, a beautiful picture of a Christian community. Um, so I'll just pray, and then I will read the passage. Thank you, Heavenly Father, that we belong both to you and to each other. And thank you for this image of a well-connected body where everyone plays their part. And we pray that you would help us to be like that here. And not just within this body of Christ here, but as part of the broader body of Christ across this city and nation and world. Amen. For by the grace given to me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourselves more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each one of you. For just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ, we though many form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. We have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. If it is serving, then serve. If it is teaching, then teach. If it's to encourage, then give encouragement. If it's giving, then give generously. If it's to lead, do it diligently. And if it is to show mercy, do so cheerfully. Amen. All right. Well, I apologize before if you're visiting here with us. I don't think I introduced myself. Uh, my name's James. I'm the minister here at Living Church. And you're catching us here this morning at the tail end of a series that we've been looking at since the, the start of term, unpacking our vision, mission, values, and culture for us as a church here at Living Church. And it's been all about us getting clarity across all these different things, what we're about, what we're trying to build, who we are, what we're building upon. So our vision, we've said, is to be an ever-growing community of people who love the Lord and one another. It's our mission to make Christ-like disciples in southeast Brisbane and beyond. These two ideals are based upon the foundational values of us being biblical, being Christ-centered, and being loving. And those three areas correspond with how we know things, the center of our theology, and then also the center of our ethics and how we relate to one another. And this morning, we're looking at something that is one of these things that is often mentioned, but not always deeply thought about, and that is culture. And so in order to try and do this well, uh, well or help us start thinking about it, I should say, uh, I've got a story that uh, the uh, author David Foster Wallace uh, gave at a commencement speech at a uh, university one time uh, for their graduation. He, he told this story. He said that there were two fish uh, swimming along, two young fish. Uh, let's make them teenage fish just for the fun of it. And as they're swimming along, they come across an older fish. And as the older fish is coming back the other way, he says to them, how's the water? And the boy's like, not sure what to do with this. And so they keep on swimming back past him. And then the, one of the younger fish says to the other one, what the heck is water? And the point of the story is to get at this idea that sometimes there are these things around us that we're always submerged in, but we haven't always given time to really think about and figure out what this space is that we exist in. You know, we, we, just, we just do it. 
It's not always something that we're conscious of, but it is something that we can become conscious of. And so we're going to start this morning by thinking about uh, what is culture, and then we're going to work through our culture elements, and we're going to talk a little bit about what they are and how we arrived at these. Uh, and then finally, we're going to think a little bit about what it means for us to be members here together at Living Church. So let me start off with a bit of a definition for you, two-part definition. First part is this. Uh, culture is the shared patterns of behavior and understanding within a community. Okay, you, you'll be able to find different definitions of culture out there, but this is the one that we're really working with. It's the shared patterns of behavior and understanding that exist within a community. Now, this can look like many, many different things. All right? There's all sorts of different cultures from around the world, and culture is formed by all sorts of different stuff. It can be religious and philosophical views. It can be fashion and dress. It can be food. It can be language. There's all these things that are patterns of behavior that people follow, oftentimes without even thinking about it. You know, we, we talk about you know, cultural blind spots and that sort of thing, where people, you know, if, if they had a very insular cultural experience, they might not even be aware that there are people out there who think differently, who act differently, who do things differently from them. Even that is a part of your culture. Some cultures are very open to cultures beyond them and have a deep understanding of different cultures and value that. Other cultures, very insular, just concerned with themselves. Okay. And so this is something that is good for us to recognize that the space that we exist in is created by many things that are much bigger than us and have a much longer history than us. And when we talk about culture, it's not just a, a moment thing, but it's also a temporal thing. It exists over time as well. So you think about Australian culture and all the different things that have made up what it means for us to be part of this broad, multicultural experience that we uh, enjoy and look upon today, and there's all sorts of elements that have gone into it, and importantly, there's been changes over the years. Some of them have happened in response to bigger events and things that we didn't have a lot of control over. Some things have been in response to you know, deliberate choices that we've made and concerted efforts and all that sort of stuff. Some of them is because we all looked at the hair in the 1980s and we said, no, no. No, come on, ladies, be honest. Who's looking at this and you're like, oh, yes, okay. You're like, please don't go through my back catalogue. There could be a few of them from me. Um, I could never pull this off as a kid of the 90s. That, that was never me. Um, yeah. 10 million bonus points for anyone who can tell me what band that is. Anyone? 90s alt rock band? No? That's cool. I'll let you and just peruse that through the surface. I'll tell you later, maybe, if I, you know, if I want to. No, it's Tumbleweed. Okay, that's the name of that. All right. Um, but here's the thing. Culture doesn't ex just exist on a big level as far as like nations and all that sort of stuff. It exists on a micro level within organizations as well. And even organizations that can look very similar and in lots of ways are very conservative and adverse to change, even in spaces like this, things do indeed change over time. And so what we have to realize with culture is that it is a way of life that people accept and pass on. The question is, as has arisen by our little fish story before, are we going to do this consciously all right, with our culture, or is this just going to be something that we don't have any input in and are simply at the mercy of the bigger moves and societal trends and stuff that happens within our own hearts that we're not even really giving much thought to. So in lots of ways, what we're doing this morning is trying to think about our culture 
and think about the direction that we want our culture to go in, the, the key things that we feel like are important for us as a church community. But I also need to explain uh, this element to it as well. Right? In church culture, right, we see lots of different and broad experiences as well, even if they might share the, a similar set of vision and mission and values that we do. Like when you look at the vision and mission that we've unpacked, like lots of churches have something like that. I joke that every church's mission is just some variation of the Great Commission from Matthew 28, right? Like that's, that's everyone, all right? On that, at least the vast, vast majority. And so what's important to recognize is this, is that as we have a church culture, it's not so much our primary core doctrinal and theological beliefs that shape somebody's experience in this, but all these secondary things that we hold important to us. So for example, churches can have the same mission as us, but do things very different up front on a Sunday from what we do. Right? Churches can have a similar vision to us, but have a totally different language for how they talk about that. Churches can have a particular set of giftings and that sort of stuff amongst the people that really shape what your experience is like in this church. So in lots of ways, it's our culture as a church community here at Living Church that affects people's experience and your life here in the congregation on a week-to-week, day-to-day sort of level in some ways, and I say this carefully, even more than our core doctrinal stuff. Our core doctrinal stuff could be common from church to church. It's orthodox Christianity in lots of ways that's been expressed in various forms over the last 2,000 years. But your experience here at Living Church is going to be shaped by our local church culture, and that's why it feels different here than it does at a church down the road, even if they have, might have lots of things the same. Is that making sense? Are you guys tracking with me on how this stuff works? So what we've been hard at work at is to try and define for ourselves what makes Living Church distinctive? What is it that we value here as a church community that's part of our identity beyond us simply seeking to be faithful followers of Jesus Christ who want to see his name glorified and his mission fulfilled in this world? That's great. That's foundational. That's most important. That comes first. But at the same time, we need to be aware of all these other things that happen and shape us. And so just to give you some sort of insight from Scripture here that this is something that Scripture, even though it doesn't talk about it directly, you can sort of see the pieces here of how it fits together. From our reading before that Beth wrote, she, she said this, For just as each of us here have one body with many members, and these members do not have the same function, so in Christ the, we, though many, form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. All right? So there's a unity that we have. We're all part of the same body. Okay? But then it goes on to say, we have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. Now, normally when we talk about this passage, we rightly recognize the diversity that exists amongst us, that lots of us have different gifts. But there's a really key subjunctive word here that I want to point your attention to, and it's this little word, if. Okay? If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. If it is serving, then serve. If it is teaching. Now, Depending on the size of a church, depending on the makeup of the people, if you just start to think this through, you can see that a, a congregation's experience of church life is going to be shaped by, at least on one level, the gifts of the people that exist there. Yes? So if you're in a church that's got a bunch of people with the gift of prophesying or something like that, speaking words of encouragement, calling people back towards God's covenant and that sort of idea, 
Your church experience there is going to be shaped significantly by the gifts in operation. If you've got uh, a group of people that is really great at the gift of encouragement, then that's going to shape your church experience. But it's an if thing. It's an if thing. And so what we've been through is a journey to identify those things that we think are both indicative of our culture that we value, that we believe that this is something that makes us who we are, but also some things that we would say are more aspirational in the sense of things that we want to grow into more because we think that they're really important. And even if they're not fully fledged here as part of us yet, we really want them to be. All right, so there's an intentional element to this as well. So the cultural elements we're going to be learning about are being intentional, authentic, welcoming, encouraging, and grace-filled. I'm going to unpack each of them for us now. So when we talk about being intentional, we talk about how we seek to be deliberate about what we do and why. In some ways, that's why we're talking about culture right now. It's because we want to be intentional and deliberate about what we're doing. While we trust in the sovereignty of God, while we trust that God is in control of all things, we also recognize that as humans that make choices that God says has real consequences, we want to be deliberate about what we're doing. We don't want to be double-minded in all we're doing. We don't want to be flying back and forth between different ideas. We want to be clear, at least, that we know why we're doing what we're doing. And again, what I'm going to do is I'm going to run through some scriptures where you can see these sorts of principles in action in scripture. I'm not saying that these are the biblical culture points. I'm not trying to say that these are the things that you have to have. What I'm trying to say is, is that we can see in Scripture at various points in times these sorts of things form the culture of the church in different ways. And as we can talk about in our grace-filled culture that we have, we've got the space to decide which ones we feel like are important to us and which we emphasize. Okay? So, for example, in Colossians, we read Paul write this. Devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful. And pray for us too that God may open a door for our message so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ for which I am in chains. Paul's being instructive. I want you to be devoted to prayer, okay? So, and I want you to pray specifically so that God might open a door for our message to go through so that we can do the thing that God has called us to do. He's clear in his goal, preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. He understands what needs to happen for that, that the Spirit of God needs to be moving. And so he instructs in accordance with that people to pray for that thing that they need for their goal to come to pass. He's intentional and deliberate about lining up his practice to see the thing that he wants to come to pass come to pass. He goes on, Pray that I may proclaim it clearly as I should. Be wise in the way you act towards outsiders. Okay, be wise. Make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversations always be full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. Again, Paul's mission is to proclaim the gospel to the Gentiles around the world. He wants to see more and more people come into the kingdom, and so he's instructing them, hey, be prepared. Be ready to take advantage of every opportunity. He's being very deliberate and intentional in the way that he's encouraging them, again, so that the mission that he has been given can be fulfilled. There's lots of good things that we can be doing, but Paul is very clear in instructing them in this portion that I want you to do this thing so that we can achieve the mission that God's given to us to see more and more people come into the kingdom. All right, Jesus tells these two parables. Now again, in context, what Jesus is doing is he's trying to explain specifically what it costs to follow him. He doesn't want people following him half-heartedly. He doesn't want people to follow him without realizing what they're getting themselves into. But the principle, the wisdom that underlies this is that 
it's a wise thing to plan ahead. He says to those considering following him, suppose one of you wants to build a tower. Why don't you first sit down and estimate the cost to see if you have enough money to complete it? For if you lay the foundation and are not able to finish it, everyone who sees it will ridicule you, saying this person began to build and wasn't able to finish. He then tells a similar story to make the same point. Well, suppose a king is about to go to war against another king. Why don't you first sit down and consider whether he is able with 10,000 men to oppose the one coming against him with 20,000? Now again, in context, the point he's trying to make is the cost of discipleship is high. If you want to give yourself to Jesus, you have to give everything you have, really weigh that up. But the wisdom principle is, is that we need to be looking, if we're going to be wise, we need to be looking ahead, being deliberate about what we're doing and whether we're actually going to be able to see that come to pass. For as he says, if he's not able, he will send a delegate from the other king still a long way off and will ask for terms of peace. In the same way, those of you who do not give up everything cannot be my disciples. Okay, so you get the idea. Planning, being deliberate, linking up the mission with your action, with your prayer, these are things commended to us in Scripture. And, as I said, through lots of discussion, at an elder level, at a staff level, with you guys at church life and all this sort of stuff, this was one of the values that you guys consistently ranked as being really important to us as a church community. All right, in the surveys that we did and the conversations that we had, every time, intentional, right there at the top of the list. Okay? Also right there at the top of the list every time was being authentic. We seek to be genuine, real, and honest. Now, I'm going to try not to get carried away here and just let the scripture do the talking for me. All right? But this is actually a big one. All right? Jesus is really, really firm on this one. We read first in Proverbs that it says, The Lord detests lying lips, but he delights in people who are trustworthy. Okay, being, being a trustworthy person, being a person who's honest, in whom there is no deceit, again, it's commended to us by God. It's clearly a good thing in Scripture. And Jesus, when confronted with those religious people who were not authentic, but who were hypocritical, he has some of his fiercest, fiercest words for them. I'm just going to read them. I haven't uh, taken everything from this passage. It would have, it, there's more, all right? But I don't think I need to add a lot to these words for you guys to get the point. Jesus says, Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites! You shut the door of the kingdom of heaven in people's faces. You yourselves do not enter, nor will you let those enter who are trying to. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites! You travel over land and sea to win a single convert, and when you have succeeded, you make them twice as much a child of hell as you are. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites! You give a tenth of your spices, mint, dill, and cumin, but you have neglected the more important matters of the law, justice, mercy, and faithfulness. You should have practiced the latter without neglecting the former. You blind guides. You strain at a gnat, but swallow a camel. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites! You clean the outside of the cup and dish, but inside they are full of greed and self-indulgence. Blind Pharisee, first clean the inside of the cup and dish, and then the outside will also be clean. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites! You are like whitewashed tombs, which look beautiful on the outside, but on the inside are full of the bones of the dead and everything unclean. In the same way, on the outside, you appear to, be people as, you appear to people as righteous, 
but on the inside you are full of hypocrisy and wickedness. Jesus hates hypocrisy. And I think that we've got to be honest in this cultural moment in Australia more generally, is that in many ways we're seen from the outside, the church generally, as being hypocritical. That so often we've spoken of love and kindness and all these sorts of ideals, and yet our posture to the world around us in lots of different ways has not been that. And in many ways, you know, we, we've tried to focus on all sorts of things to get people to behave a certain way, to, to make sure that our voice is heard, to make sure that our rights are protected, and all this sort of stuff. But we've lacked on so many instances the authenticity to admit when we've been wrong, to be vulnerable, to be humble, to ask for forgiveness, to be honest about those parts of our doctrine every bit as much as we want to talk about justice and knowing God's will and all that sort of stuff. Now, I'm not talking about being soft on justice. What I love about Jesus here is that, you know, when, when they're there and they're measuring out mint and spices and all this sort of stuff and neglecting the weightier matters of the law, he says, I'm not saying that was bad. I'm not saying you shouldn't have been careful with the things that you're doing here, but to be just focused on this stuff and ignoring all this weighty stuff over there, you hypocrites. You've condemned others and not been willing to admit your own mistakes and that sort of thing. So we as a church community, we need to be honest open, vulnerable, those who, who rest in the grace of God. Not proud, putting a mask on, putting up a facade of perfection or self-righteousness or anything else like that. It's really important for us, we've said this really clearly, that as a church community, we want to be authentic. We want to be genuine, real, humble, honest. But that only happens through us walking in the grace of Christ. And so again, I'm not preaching a sermon on that right now. It's tempting to. But this is a value that we want to be really, really clear is important to us. Okay, I'll skip Romans here, same point, but um, we'll move on from there. All right, welcoming. It says here, uh, we seek to be warm, friendly, and hospitable in all our ministries. Now, this is important, okay? Uh, I'll run through some scriptures here, and then we'll talk a little bit about what welcoming is for us. This is what uh, it says in Hebrews. Keep on loving one another as brothers and sisters. Do not forget to show hospitality to strangers, for by doing so, some people have shown hospitality to angels without knowing it. So reason number one we want to be hospitable is so we don't you know, make any angels upset. Um, no, I'm kidding. But there, there is this real sense in which being hospitable at all times is commended, that it's not a sometimes thing, but rather at all times seek to be hospitable, welcoming, kind to others. Okay? From Matthew. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, he will sit on his glorious throne. All the nations will be gathered before him and he will separate the people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will put the sheep on his right hand and goats on his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come you who are blessed by my father. Take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was ill, and you looked after me. I was in prison, and you came to visit me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you something to drink? 
When did we see you a stranger and invite you in or needing clothes and clothe you? When did you, we, see, we see you ill or in prison or go to visit you? And the king will reply, truly, I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. The way that we treat the outsider, the way that we treat those in need, the way that we treat the weak and the vulnerable, the foreigner and stranger amongst us, reflects on how we treat the king and the Lord Jesus himself. That Jesus so closely identifies himself with the foreigner and the stranger and the weak and the vulnerable, that every time we are hospitable and welcoming to them, the Lord says, you were doing that to me. And so there's this real undercurrent in Scripture that that this is a a deeply, deeply important thing. We can go back and look at the Old Testament laws. And even though Israel was meant to be very singular in its focus as a nation committed to God, even in the law that told Israel that the chosen people of God had to live, there was provision for the strangers and foreigners amongst them, or those that crossed their fields, or those that came into their land. It's always been a part of God's heart to be welcoming And so much of this is accepting one another. So in Romans 15, we read, May the God who gives endurance and encouragement give you the same attitude of mind toward each other that Christ Jesus had, so that with one mind and one voice you may glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now this word accept one another, in some translations you'll actually see it as welcome one another, but accept or welcome one another then just as Christ has accepted you in order to bring praise to God. Now, here's the point that I want to to say. This is one of these ones where I think lots of us would say that we're a welcoming church, but I also feel like there's an aspirational element to this because the thing is that welcoming for us can't just stop when somebody comes in the door for the first time. Welcoming and being hospitable is not something where it's just a front door on Sunday thing, but it's in everything that we do. When people come into our growth groups, from a different growth group maybe, we want to be welcoming. When people join one of our teams, one of our service teams, whatever team that might be, we want to be welcoming. Welcoming is not something that we do just once. Welcoming is something that is ongoing and continual. We don't just want to be a church who's friendly when somebody comes in, but we want to be there the next week also saying, hey, how's it going? How's things so far? Do you need anything? Can I help you with this? Do you want to come and join us for lunch? We're going out on Tuesday. Do you want to come hang to continually be welcoming people in? It's not an easy thing, it's not always a convenient thing, but it's something that God holds very dearly because, again, every time that we welcome somebody in, the Lord Jesus says, you have welcomed me also. And so we want to make sure that welcoming for us is not just friendliness, it's not just being good at greeting, but it's about a deep welcoming into community again and again and again. Next up, encouraging. We seek to give courage to people through confidence, hope, and support. As we're going to see here, encouraging also is not just nice words, and it's certainly not inauthentic, all right? I have this bad habit, actually. Uh, If I know that somebody is a natural encourager, like that's just their their predisposition, and they come up to me, and they say something along the lines of, hey, great sermon, I'm like, don't spit in my face. Not really, but... The thing is, it's like, some people are just, they can't help it. Just, just nice words come out of their mouth. And I'm always kind of like, I don't know if this is real or if this is just like how you're wired. Some of you are nodding, like you know what I'm talking about. My type A personalities out there, yeah. Okay, you're with me, all right? I don't mean it disrespectfully. I'm not trying to call you a liar, but, but sometimes 
encouragement, if it's going to be genuine and real and authentic again, needs to come from someplace deep. It's not just nice words. And this is the thing. Our encouragement to one another is not just saying nice outfit. It's encouragement in the Lord. In fact, this is one of the most common exhortations in all of Scripture. I'm just going to give you a few examples, but it is everywhere. Okay? Famously in Joshua 1.9, Have I not commanded you, be strong and courageous, do not be terrified, do not be discouraged. Why? For the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. Deuteronomy 31, be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or terrified because of them. For the Lord your God goes with you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. David also said to Solomon, his son, be strong and courageous and do the work. Do not be afraid or discouraged for the Lord your God, the Lord God, my God is with you. He will not fail you or forsake you until that the work for all the service of the temple of the Lord is finished. That's encouragement. It's not just nice words. It's not just, you know, platitudes. It's strength and encouragement rooted deeply in the promises of God. When we talk about being encouraging, we're not just talking about we say nice things to each other because that can really easily slip into inauthenticity if we're not careful. We want our encouragement to flow forth from the promises of God. And again, courage and strength. Some of you don't see yourselves that way. And again, and that's okay. I'm not saying that everybody has to have the same sort of personality in this. Like there are big boisterous demonstrations of courage and all that sort of stuff. That's not what we're talking about. Okay? We're talking about a deep, deep strength and a confidence that, again, is rooted not in my giftings or capabilities or talents, but in knowing that the Lord is with me. Proverbs 29 The wicked man flees, though no one pursues, but the righteous are as bold as the lion. Now we know that the righteous in the New Testament, are those that believe in Jesus. I'm not bold because I think highly of myself. I'm bold because I know that Jesus Christ has forgiven me and I'm now joined to him and that I am with him and every promise of God is yes and amen to me in Christ. Not because I am special, not because I am wonderful, but because God is with me and if he is with me, then who can be against me? Surely God is my salvation. I will trust and not be afraid. The Lord, the Lord is my strength and my song. He has become my salvation. So do not fear, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. What then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? And finally, for I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation, We'll be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. That's the sort of encouragement that we're talking about. It's the sort of encouragement where we are constantly reminding each other of the promises of God that have been given to us. That for all of us who believe, as we face troubles in this world, and there will be many, the reason that we need courage is because there is trouble. If there was nothing that would seem fear-worthy in this world, we would not need courage. We will face trouble, we will face persecution, we will face pain, we will face hardship, we will face suffering, we're going to look at 1 Peter next term, we're going to get right into just what it looks like to have a deep understanding of suffering in this world, but in the face of it, 
We are strong and courageous because of what the Lord has done and the promises that we have in him. Now again, this doesn't mean we're never worried. It doesn't mean we're never anxious. It doesn't mean that if you're a person that struggles with those things, that this place isn't for you. It absolutely is a place for you because do you know what? If you are a person that struggles with anxiety, if you're a person that struggles with fear, the best place to be is a place where you are constantly being encouraged in the promises that God gives to us. Because our anxieties ultimately will be healed in the faith that we have in Christ. And I'm not denying that sometimes we need medication. I'm not talking about that there aren't other sources of help for us when we're in that place. But ultimately, as we go through that sort of battle, our hope and our strength is in the Lord Jesus and the promises that he gives to us. Okay? And then the last of our culture descriptors that we're focusing on, that we're emphasizing for us here as a church, is we want to be grace-filled. We seek to live in grace and liberty according to the freedom we have in Christ. Now, this one has been a difficult one for us to define. We've, sort of, we've landed on, on grace-filled, partly because that's a positive way of saying it. Another way that we, we could say it, we sort of give some shape to it, is that we will not be legalistic. All right? Le- legalism is just completely antithetical to the gospel. Being legalistic, being law-focused is in so many ways the definition of the old covenant that Christ has come to set us free from. The law of sin and death. So much of the New Testament is focused on breaking free from a religious, legalistic mindset. And so I just want to unpack this just a little bit so we know what we're talking about here. Paul writes in Galatians, It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then. And do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. In context, he's talking about all the religious rules that the Galatians were trying to add back into their faith. A little later, he says, You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free. But do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. When we talk about freedom, when we talk about grace-filled, we're not talking about seeking an excuse for sin. We're not talking about sort of permission to go back and do whatever you want to do, but rather we've been set free from sin and death and a legalistic way of thinking about this world that somehow as a Christian, if I sin, I'm going to go back to being on a road towards destruction, but rather knowing that all my sins are forgiven, when I make a mistake, I don't go back to the mindset of, oh my gosh, I'm, on, you know, I'm, I'm just in trouble now before God and all that sort of stuff, but rather recognizing that I've been set free from that because I've been made righteous because of what Jesus has done Now I can seek to actually live love and kindness and righteousness and holiness in the power that God's grace gives to us. Romans 8. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. If you sin in this place... Part of the culture that we want to have here is that you are not condemned. Now, that does not mean that we just say everything's okay. It doesn't mean that we don't say that was a bad choice or that was wrong or that was destructive or that befits somebody who doesn't know the Lord Jesus. But that's not condemnation. 
Condemnation, condemnation is suggesting that because you've sinned, you're now no longer one of us. You're out. You're not good enough. You're, you're not accepted before the Lord. That's condemnation. We make judgments about each other. Who's in? Who's out? That sort of idea. That's not what we're doing here. There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. God now does not judge us according to our sins in the sense of gives us the consequence of death, which is what we would deserve on our own. But rather, now that we've been joined to Jesus and we're declared righteous, the Lord does not judge us according to how our sins deserve. And in the freedom that we're given, we now seek to live a life that honors him. What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means. We are those who have died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? In 1 Peter, live as free people, but do not use your freedom as a cover-up for evil. Live as God's slaves. We're no longer slaves to sin and death, but to righteousness. And lastly, but thanks be to God, that though you used to be slaves to sin, you have now come to obey from your heart the pattern of teaching that has now claimed your allegiance. You've been set free from sin and have become slaves to righteousness. When we talk about being grace-filled, it means that we now recognize that in the grace that God has given to us, we pursue righteousness and holiness with a ferocious passion that is so much stronger than the fear that comes with being in sin and death. Rather, knowing the grace that we've received, we pursue righteousness with all of our heart in a spirit of grace with no condemnation when we fail, but rather the simple freedom of knowing that, yes, we messed up, but the Lord Jesus is with us and we can press on to the good that he has for us. All right. I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this. I know that we're going a little long, so I'm going to just uh, make this last point. With all this stuff in mind, I want to talk to you briefly about what membership is for us. As we heard from the reading before, there's this idea that we're all members with one another. This is just the basic idea of membership. You're all part of the one body, right? There's this long statement. Don't worry. I'm not going to ask you to read that. We're going to go through it bit by bit in a minute. But I just want to read to you what it means to be a member here at Living Church in light of all this stuff that we've just talked about, okay? It says this. This is the best part of the entire uh, Presbyterian Church of Queensland Code of Conduct. It's a big old document, lots of language. This is, I think, the absolute best part in it. It says, It is the duty of Living Church members to give faithful attendance to worship services. Be here on Sunday. Don't forsake the gathering of believers. And seek to be fully involved in the church's life and ministry, which we have unpacked over the last six weeks and explained to you guys what we are all about. If nothing else, this last six weeks has been designed to give us clarity on what the life and ministry is here at Living Church. To give their ministers and elders due respect, encouragement, and obedience in the Lord. What that basically means is, is that we do our job that you guys respectfully listen and seek to follow as you are able. Right? It's based in scripture. I know obedience is a strong word there. I don't have time to unpack that. If you've got questions, do please come and ask me. But let's just for now say there's a commitment to respect and follow as you're able us as we seek to lead well unto the Lord Jesus. And then to manifest a Christian spirit in all the relationships. We've talked about community. We've talked about welcoming, encouraging, all this different stuff. It's basically just having the spirit of God with us in everything that we do. It's also their duty to take a lively interest in the welfare of the whole church. So how about that annual congregational meeting, huh? Yeah, two weeks, March 19, all right? It's not just going to another dry meeting. It's a dry meeting with power and purpose, all right? 
No, really, no. Look, we're going to have fun. There's lots of stuff to be celebrating. It, I really do encourage you guys to come along, take an interest in what's happening. We're gonna, we are going to make the annual uh, reports available on the website. If they're not, in fact, they're up already, but we'll be sending the link out to, so you guys can have a read through this. Find out what's been happening in the church beyond your growth group and Sundays and that sort of stuff or your service area. All right, take a lively interest. Be praying. And to contribute heartily as the Lord shall enable them. For the, gospel, for the maintenance of the Christian ministry and the furtherance of the gospel at home and abroad. To make Christ-like disciples in southeast Brisbane and beyond. Now, like I said, I'm just sharing that with you guys briefly because uh, we sent out an email just a little while ago inviting anyone who's not yet a member that if you want to make that commitment to please come and join us. But I want you guys to see that this is a, this is a thing. It's a commitment. It's not just something that you do because you think it's important to be the member of a church somewhere. It's not something because you don't feel quite right about yourself unless you know that your name's on a roll somewhere. That's not what this is. Membership at Living Church is a commitment that we make before the Lord to one another to serve, to give of ourselves, to love one another, to respect the leadership here, to do all these sorts of things. And the reason I'm mentioning this at the end of this Vision and Value series is because my hope is that some of you, having this stuff clarified, it might make you say, actually, this really is the place for us and we want to be involved. And so if that's you, do please come to the Next Steps desk. We're going to be sending out another invitation uh, via email to everyone whose contact details we have and that sort of stuff. And if this is you, then this is a great time to come and talk to us about it, to learn more, and uh, take the next step in that direction. All right. It's been a big morning. I appreciate uh, the attention and energy that you guys have given. So let's pray, and then let's worship the Lord well together to finish up. Father God, thank you so much for all that you're doing here at Living Church. Lord, we, we have a vision. And as we seek to be an ever-growing community who loves the Lord and one another, let us not forget that this is, it is because of the love of you that we seek to do this. Lord, we have a mission to make Christ-like disciples because you have first loved us. Lord, we want to know you through the scriptures. We want to keep our eyes firmly fixed on Jesus. We want to be loving in all that we do. And Father, we want to build in more and more all these things we've been talking about this morning, being intentional, authentic, welcoming, encouraging, and grace-filled. Not for our own sake, not so we have a great experience here on Sunday, not so we have a good growth group, although those are all good things. But because, Lord, we want to honor you in this place. We want your name to be lifted on high. We want to work together to see more and more people come into your kingdom, to see your name honored in our relationships with one another, and to live for you with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength. And we thank you for this in Jesus' mighty name. Amen.